0: Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. Today is our second part of Old School Essentials OSE. I am your host, Logar the Barbarian, and joined with me is my OSE Dungeon Master, John. Hello. Our regular co-host, Light. Hello, hello. We are, uh, we're talking about Old School Essentials, and it seems to be a pretty popular game right now. Now, it's not as popular as 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons is on the market overall. But when it comes to especially people who are into what they call OSR old school renaissance type games and things like that, it seems to be getting the most talk here lately online.
1: Yeah, it seems like at least with retro clone scene, I would say I've seen a lot more traffic it seems like for OSE than some of the uh, other retro clones that are out there. And it seems like a very active international community as well too. So we're seeing people posting, you know, obviously it's- the Croc a UK company, who's the publisher, but we're seeing a lot of traffic, it seems like, from folks in Europe as well as Australia and within the US for this particular
0: game. And I'm, I've been buying a lot of zines, and a lot of those zines that are putting themselves out for OSE are just intended to be usable for all the older retro clones in general. The way the stat blocks are, they like I've been a big Stories and Wizardry fan. I keep on saying that. I bring it up a lot. But it's all totally ex- interchangeable. And with so much out the four Old School Essentials came out, four old BX games, you have so much you can work with. But the cool thing is about OSE is there's a lot of really great new stuff coming out for it. Some of it's so good that it just won some Ennies. Halls of the Blood King, that just won two Ennies. And that is an official adventure scenario for Old School Essentials. I saw this. On the shelf at the game store uh the day before yesterday i went <laughs> i those they had a, a bunch of the modules and the Dolan Wood one we'll talk about dolemwood a bit here and they had some of the old school essentials official adventure scenarios they are so well, just like we said about the layout last episode they are so well laid out they're so clearly done precise beautiful books i can't tell you how much i want to put them on my shelf i didn't buy them but I might go back there and spend the rest of my money. If it's still there on those things.
2: I'll just remind you again not to read them in case uh, <laughs> I want to use them.
0: <laughs> I'll have to I'll have to sure. avoid reading them till after we've played them. I, I do like to sit there and read adventure modules, and I have plenty of adventure modules to read. But I'm really taken in by the layout and how I think that others are emulating what they've done layout wise too. And I think that there is changes that we'll be seeing, especially with. The zines I've been picking up from other folks seem to be emulating the style that was started in here. Not all of them, but some of them definitely are following suit with what was done in the Old School Essentials book. And I think it is, I'm not, I wouldn't say revolutionary, but it is a trend right now in gaming that's occurring in some places that it's causing.
2: Yeah, I think it's pretty revolutionary, actually. The, the standard model for the adventure module is kind of set by TSR in the 80s and uh 70s and 80s and while you know i have a lot of nostalgia for that usability wise i didn't really know how actually how bad they were
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) and um
2: you know the box text things like that that are just kind of unnecessary much better to just give you some bullet points that way you can quickly relate to the players you can kind of fill in the details yourself and you know, they can kinda the players can kinda fill in some details too when they ask questions. Uh so yeah, I'm 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 a huge fan of the layout, obviously of the core books, but the modules as well. I think he's really started a uh you know, I don't know how much credit he deserves. I don't know if somebody he was inspired by somebody else, but certainly the the standard that's been picked up for OSC adventures is uh a really a welcomed uh change to the format i think.
0: Yeah, and it's nice to see uh, more independent creators really making changes and stuff and adding in ways that are maybe ways that we, I, i'm going to say not even maybe just ways that i didn't realize that these games could be improved in. And running a sandbox campaign like John you tend to run more of a sandbox campaign for our game and it, it seems that these are really good modules for that type of thing. Whereas opposed, like we talked a bit about the railroad versus sandbox modules at some point in time in an episode. Now, some of those modules where you have to hit certain things at certain time for a certain story to occur. You don't have the kinds of hangups with that, but sometimes there's a lot of stuff you got to read to understand what's going on to be able to intertwine your own story. And it can be difficult with the old layout that they were done in, but these are done in a very nice, new, easy to go with fashion.
1: Yeah, I think it's a exciting time to be within OSR because I feel like there's a lot of creativity with what's coming out right now, especially within the OSE line, as I mentioned with um, the chronic Gnome, as well as other third-party people releasing uh, stuff that is compatible for OSE. So for me, I feel like there's a lot of interesting material coming out that's very unique and different as compared to um, some big companies like, you know, Wizards of the Coast, who I don't feel like has been putting out as much creative material uh, maybe they have on dnd beyond but i just don't feel that you know good indie create creative uh material with uh independently owned cre- you know creatives and publishers and such
0: yeah there's definitely a big boom of independent creators that are contributing to this and that's one of the appeals of this whole movement to me Is i like the idea of people being able to contribute to the game create the game help build it up as a community as opposed to having a central company that's kind of in control of the intellectual property. And I like that the game's out there and the open is so many are adding to it. When it comes to the design-making crossover, though, that like I told, said before, I wanted to point out a zine that I reviewed a few weeks back, The Planar Compass. That is very clear that is the design itself is inspired from the OSE rules tome and books that are there. And it's real nice and re- done real well. It fits in line with it. It's cool to have something that feels like it just is part of that. It's like the reason I like my yellow spines, they'll put out OSR books with a yellow spine. The reason I love to get those, because I can put them on my shelf and it's uniform with my other yellow spine books. And there's kind of a similar feeling when I pick up other zines that are uniform with the OSE layout. I'm like, oh, cool. They've really done something similar. Here. It goes in well with them. That's just kind of one of my weird little, little things that I like about that. But there's other stuff, Uh, so let's talk about some of the adventures and settings and stuff that are there that have gotten popular, and some of the stuff that you've been using in
2: game, John. You want to talk about the setting? Yeah, well, let's talk about the settings and the adventures. Yeah, let's talk. So, yeah, I I am loosely basing the campaign on Bellman Wood, which was uh, a setting first released as a zine called Wormskin. I believe they did eight issues of that, and. It was by uh, Gavin Norman, and uh, his last name, he goes by as Gorgon Milk, uh, is the other co-author. Now, it's just Gavin now on his own, working on on it now, but it's uh, kind of a like a fairy tale kind of setting, a little dark, kind of quirky. I thought it was unique to role-playing. Not not your standard um gray hawk or hyperborea but it's its own own thing yeah and i like i said i've been loosely basing on that because the books haven't really been released yet but um so i'm kind of going off on my own but there's a lot bit. of
0: content available for it from the Wormskin zines to the patreon correct did you tell us about the patreon
2: yeah so the patreon he's basically releasing the actual books that are going to be coming out which i believe will be a player's book, a referee's book and a monster book. He's going to be doing a kickstarter when he's when he's done with them. I'm I'm expecting that probably by the end of the year if not early early next year based on what he's released so far, but uh if you sign on to the Patreon, different tiers get you different things, but he's releasing the actual book, you know, chapter by chapter every month he'll release a few chapters, a few monsters, um Maybe I, I believe at this point the entire player's book has pretty much been released, and uh, the referee's book has hex descriptions for every hex in the in the woods, with you know notable NPCs, um, cool. adventure hooks, lots of things like that. There's also an alternate kind of world, the fairy world. That there's several tie-ins that is its own um, other map, I guess. So. You can use it as literally as you want, or you can do it like me and just kind of loosely base it on it.
0: A lot of great content to work with, it looks like. And I know at least one of those ones that I was drooling out on the shelf, instead of having the old school essentials logo on the top, it had the Dolemwood logo. And it was really nice. What was that? Winter's Daughter or something? Winter's like Daughter. It? yeah that's
2: that's the one you guys just finished up
0: <laughs> oh is with, that which one was was that the one with uh with where they were trying to sacrifice her
2: uh no. at the beginning yeah that that started with with the sacrifice at the stones now i believe if you buy the the version he has now out there now he's actually removed that encounter because it was i guess too difficult for first level players <laughs> <laughs> um that you, was guys, an interesting, you guys it, handled it all right, but it could have gone really bad. Um, we're going to
0: die Wednesday. We're going to die Wednesday. <laughs> we're gonna, we have gotten way over our head. We're going to be rolling up some new characters come Wednesday. I have a feeling. We got ourselves into a situation
2: that's <laughs> not yeah, promising. I, I would imagine at least somebody I, might. It's well, not going to
1: be good. What's funny was uh, one of our, um, our more recent players that joined uh, fellow worker Nick, he had rolled up a character for the campaign. And I think his first character died within the first two sessions. Is that correct, oh, John? Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: I liked his character. His name pole Poldermis, wasn't it? R-
2: Wrinkle Poldermis. Wrinkle Poldermis. Uh, a... <laughs> Wr- yeah. Wrinkle
0: Poldermis. And he was supposed to be related to rumple Stiltskin. Yeah. It was really good. I liked. Yeah. that. I appreciated that. Like, this is fun. Wrinkle Poldermis. <laughs> yeah, that.
2: Yeah, that giant rat was. And uh, that that module was another one I'll call out for. Uh, osc third party it's called uh hideous daylight
0: that was a great adventure
2: <laughs> yeah that was really good
0: well, you can spend a lot of time in some of these modules i know that like i've played with groups that do uh, some of the more modern modules that have a linear story you have to push through and a lot of times people are trying to get that module done in like a week or two it seems and push through and get through the story points but we take our time when we're playing this game like the Hole in the Oak, I believe, was the first one we did, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. That early yeah, early one. And we spent a lot of time in that dungeon, quite a few weeks exploring it. Didn't necessarily, some of the things I think that we turned on its head, like our ogre friend, we used the ogre <laughs> in there as <laughs> an ally. ended up using him to really help us out in the dungeon a lot. We got creative mm-hmm. with it. <laughs> yeah, the
1: Domewood setting, I really have been enjoying because it has a very unique feel and a very rich standalone Background with it, as John mentioned, you know it's very fae and fairy focused, and there have been a lot of elements that have really helped create the universe that we've been playing in. Versus, um, as we mentioned, a general whatever Greyhawk or um, Forbidden Lands or something like that. You know, this is a very specific setting, and it's really created a very um, you know I keep saying unique feel, but I I really you know it's it's been very cool and very different than some of the other. Uh, traditional campaign that may have be in, been in where it's like, oh, you know, you travel to this place, talk to a, talk to some guy in a tavern, and you go delve into a dungeon type of thing. But with this one, I feel like it's been really uh, well done as a own little sub-universe.
0: I want to also bring up something that we already reviewed on this uh, podcast a few weeks back, was the um, Rackham Vale book is made for OSE. And it's very Faye focused It's based on Arthur Rackham's art. If you haven't listened to that, go ahead and check it out. It's a good book to pick up. And I know that, John, I know that you picked it up because you and I message each other about books when we get all three of us. We talk. we was like, hey, this book. <laughs> we're like game buddies. So like, we'll get excited about books and send each other like texts and messages about different things. <laughs> 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 like, man, look at this book. Here's a picture I just took. I'm excited to show it off. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So I know that you got the rack and
2: bail. <laughs> I, I did. I'm reading through it now, and yeah, it is. It's wonderful. It's it's got it's very similar, um, very compatible. I think with with, in fact, you could. Yeah, I'd lo- I, I might bolt it on a little bit, depending on how much re- reading you do. I know. <laughs> it, but... I'm
0: not gonna. I, I've, I've done the amount that I'm of reading. That I'm gonna read. I've read through some of it, so I know some. I know some things, but go for it it's a big book i i might not i have a bad memory sometimes so i even if i've read it i may not remember when game comes up maybe it was just, i think i remember reading this i think i know he's so don't worry too much about that things play out very differently with groups each time that's the thing i've realized i've played through modules uh either ran them multiple times or ran through other people playing them and every time things come out very differently but I like the reason I brought that up in relationship with Dolmenwood is that Rackham Vale and Dolmenwood seem like they could go together really well with that whole Fae thing they got going on. Kind of more fairy tale than Tolkien, kind of more Grimm's fairy tale feeling sometimes. And some of the stuff going on, I like about it. It's a bit different. I, it is a change. You're not you're not in the Forgotten Realms or Dragon Lots. You know, it's not as grandier. It's a little more like the hole in the oak adventure you're just going in through a, a little hole in the tree <laughs> just right this whole world down there it's very yeah that's fun it's neat
2: mutated ogres well now hole in oak wasn't officially for dolman Wood. i think oh, a lot wasn't. of people no but a lot of people do make that conversion because a lot of gavin stuff has that kind of quirk to it and i tried to add some elements from dolman Woods, certainly with the setting, like the NPCs you were interacting with, I kind of created to be part of that world, but it it worked out fine.
0: Uh, like when I was a kid, I'm gonna throw this is a personal anecdote. <laughs> when I was a kid, I remember my grandmother had this little wooden town village. We called it an elf an elf building. It was just a a log that someone had carved little doors into and put attachments, so it had like shades and wood and it would sit outside under a tree and it was like a little elf world that I was told now elves when I say in D&D are these big majestic Tolkien things so I always had this vision in my mind looking at these old fairy tale books that was a fantasy that was different than this what I see in a lot of D&D like very majestic and powerful but more like mischievous little fey and creatures running around hiding in nooks and crannies And I've always wanted to capture that in game, especially when you're like dungeon delving and seeking through like little hidden places. I feel that some of the Dolanwood, Rackham a lot of these types of fantasy that we've been playing in this game kind of captures some of that. Like I said, I made an elf and I didn't want my elf to be that majestic, uh, powerful elf. I said, I want to play a Keebler elf. (laughs) Santa's elves are very different than the elves we get in D&D, you know. Yes, exactly. There's other kinds of elves, so I, I made Devlin's the character's name and he's this scrappy little red-headed feller with leaves coming out and I modeled him after this old farmer that I knew back in the day who wasn't a redhead but he was a wiry strong little feller. <laughs> <laughs> he's a vegetarian cuz he's a wood elf. He thinks that eating other living things is gross because there's blood and stuff so he'd rather have his nuts and berries so <laughs> yeah i, mean, I kind of had fun with that and and kind of trying to my idea with that character was i wanted him to be a little more cabler elf than majestic forgotten realms elf
1: yeah you know going from a traditional osc where it's still racist class but then putting that spin on it where it's more of a cabler elf than like a, a high elf or, <laughs> yeah. or something like that i think fits well within domewood and that's why I keep saying, you know, the feel of the Domewood universe is really fun and quite different than the uh, traditional um other RPG universes that we've been playing. So I've been, you know, in enjoying that. And you know, it's a a little bit darker um type of universe. You know, Grimm's Fairy Tales, you know, the original version is a little bit of a darker, (laughs) yeah. Darker read. It's not it's not for a children's version originally, right? We've read the children's Mm -hmm. version, but the, you know, original one, it's, it's, it's a little bit dark.
0: Oh yeah. I got, I got a nice big collection of those. I read from time to time. I like short stories and stuff, because I can get through them quick and I don't have to read the whole book. (laughs) So I'll do a lot of short stories and then some of those things get interesting and crazy.
2: Well, yeah. And all the characters you guys brought to the table have that and really not planned. I guess I told you guys a little bit about what setting would be like, but I think, uh, Light, you have Hubie, the Hubie half-ling. the Halfling, who's carries a walk shield and a cleaver as a weapon, and then um, uh, so another player has Thorborf, uh,
0: Thorborf the hairy dwarf, the hairy back. <laughs>
2: Thorborf Harry from Clan Harryback, who's a dwarf. <laughs> now the thing about it is Dolmenwood doesn't have these, doesn't have dwarves and typical elves and uh, halflings. Living there, but I just uh you chose what you wanted, and I just said you guys have traveled to Dolman Wood. and then there's Pope Chuck.
0: <laughs> yeah, Pope Chuck. Sir. He's our he's our spiritual guidance.
2: Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't know how spiritual he is, um, <laughs> or how much guidance he's given right now. But um definitely a quirky take on a cleric. Nick's um he's playing a hunter. RIP. Uh, yeah, and his new. He now, his, his second character he rolled up is a Dolman Wood specific class, which is a hunter. And even though Nick himself doesn't know a lot about Dolman Wood, I always say this is something that a hunter of Dolman Wood would know. And I, you know, I give him the information. So that's how we play that out.
1: Yeah. You know, so, since we may be heading into a TBK this, in this Wednesday session, oh, I've been I'm looking gonna, at, I'm you know, other, other characters. In terms of, you know, there's uh, what's called a Grimalkin, which is like like a magic cat, essentially. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. that'd be fun to play that. Or maybe I could play like a witch in this, you know, classic fantasy fairy environment as well, too. So
0: that would be fun. That would be fun doing like a very classic style witch, you know, the Wicked Witch type character. That
2: would be cool. (laughs) a level one Wicked Witch, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> that
2: could be cool. But it, it, it depends on how many how many how close to a TPK we get, I guess.
0: <laughs> now I, I want you said that there's like elves and dwarves. I want to. I, I, I just want to ask a question because I want to. I'd like to know more myself. I'm not familiar with the Dormwood. Now the Wormskin magazines you can buy print on demand. I know they're on Lulu and other on drive as well. Right through yep. RPG. Yep. So if you want to start getting into that world and and picking those up, you can check out those worm skin and you can check out the Patreon. But the Dolanwood, you said that the elves and the dwarves aren't as common in the setting. Or can you tell me more about like what the races and classes are like in the setting as opposed to what you might be used to from a regular D and D or classic D and D
2: game? Yeah. So. Dolman Woods meant is like a modular wooded area, and it's when I say wooded area, it's a huge forest. Um, I think it compares in size to like Yellowstone. I actually did a compare size comparison acreage wise, and it compares favorably to the size of Yellowstone. But a lot, you just bolt it onto any. You could put it in Grey Hulk if you wanted to. You could put it anywhere. I think Midderlands is another like OSR product that a lot of people put it in. That's like a medieval England. But the unique parts about it are there aren't native dwarves. The native elves actually dwell in the fa- on the fairy side of the of the dimension, I guess, and they're called frost elves, and they're not super good. Um, <laughs> the, and halflings. Uh, there's no orcs. There's no gnolls. There's no kobolds. The goblins are very call it. Um, labyrinth like they're yeah yeah it's chevious maybe but not necessarily evil people trade with them and then there's uh the goat men who are kind of an evil adversary to the humans in the area get along certain regions of dolman wood they actually get along and kind of intermingle um
0: (laughs) we've had some goat men encounters yeah Yeah. (laughs) yeah uh
2: but the some of the new races they have, they have a moss dwarf, Ooh. and uh, which are, I don't know, I really don't have to describe. It. You have to you have to look into those. The Gremlkin is your your cat person. They they're fairy and they can take several different forms. Some of the other human classes are uh, Dolmenwood Hunter, the Friar. Uh, there's a religion in Dolman Wood, a human religion that's kind of based on the Catholic Church, called the I believe One True God. And fryers are a part of that. I'm just going off memory here. There's like a bat looking person that you can be as well.
0: Oh, there's definitely some good flavor to it that that takes it in, in a neat direction. I know that from, I'll try to get back to OSE specifically and away from the, the actual uh, settings. We've spent a lot of time, more of that time than I thought we would. Say. Before we end, I want to talk about the OSE system itself and how people might find it different from Existing uh or newer versions they've been playing, like third edition and fifth edition. I'm just going to start off saying uh, one of the things that I like about this OSE, and as I say, it's similar to what I like about Swords and Wizardry and a lot of these other ones, is that if we're going to roll up characters for OSE, it's going to go very fast in comparison to rolling up a character for third edition, even second edition. Or a lot of those newer editions for I can't say it speak for fourth because I've never done it. I'm assuming it's about as long as a fifth edition character. The fifth edition characters can take a bit of time to roll up. OSE, pretty much everything you need for the most part's on that page by that character class. There's not like ripping through books trying to find all the different things. It it's pretty easy to fill in and get a get a you know, in a few minutes you can have a team a party ready to play a game and yeah, go and,
2: and that's good because, um, it is a much more lethal game play if you play rules as written than a, a 5e, or a newer edition. Probably shouldn't get you know characters are more normal, more human, are
0: <laughs> more yeah more more,
2: human, more I, mortal, Let's more mortal, yeah, uh, yeah, and um, they're not superheroes to begin with, especially. But even you know, even a high level character, you don't want to. You got to be prepared to lose that character for sure. If, you know, everybody, I think most people play it. They home rule some some breaks. Uh, even I added, I have some potential ways that you can survive. Now, if you get hit by the ass of a black dragon, <laughs> uh, I don't know. But I might have to
0: think we're gonna die we we, we should we should have really thought this through a little better (laughs) I went after that thing we're in a bad situation yeah now i like the rule set the combat is far less complex than some newer ones it's easy and quick to go through uh it's easy to change and to make adjustments to because it's not as complex you're not breaking things if you make little changes here and there to suit what you're looking for and You know, there's a lot out there for it, like I have said before, just because there's so much out there for the older editions of Dungeons and Dragons from over the decades that you have a a lot, not only just the new stuff coming out, but what was out before. Uh, I suggest, and I know I've said this to you, I suggest looking up the Swords and Wizardry Tome of Horrors and Monstrosities book, because they're like these big 600 some page tomes just filled with all kinds of crazy monsters. That are 100% same stat blocks as old school essentials. And both of those I know are print on demand. Now you don't have to buy the more expensive, nice prints of those. So those work really well for having some. I like to have lots of monsters made.
2: Yeah, all the old school, you know, done. You can get the monster manual, the second edition monsters manual, all that stuff. It's pretty. I mean, I would copy it straight over. I think technically you would have to make a little bit of tweaks to the armor class and to change it to ascending or
0: well you yeah the only thing is that some of the old ones would be descending and there's a quick subtr. but but the clone stuff usually for swords and wizardry even that stuff has ascending and descending just like ose Mm -hmm. and when you start looking at the numbers and what core corresponds you see that a three or whatever is a three or a three relates to a 17 or whatever it is so yes so it's easy to pick up on how to adjust.
2: Another one of the things I like, you know, we're talking about combat, is we run both uh, Light and I both run a very theater than mine combat, but the rules are there if you wanted to get real technical and start counting squares and movement rates and, you know, playing with minis. A lot of people do that. It's not really our thing, but those rules are there and you can kind of take and leave what you want. It's also the very first edition role-playing game that I'm aware of that added the ability check the role under your ability score which I think just opened up a lot gave a mechanic to a lot of the open-ended play that you want to have so you don't have to have a rule book filled with every potential thing you can do a player can just say how hey, I want to try to jump this gap you don't have to look up in a rule book how far you can jump you can just say that's kind of easy and and make it an easy check for him And I believe it's kind of written as an optional rule, but I believe this is the first appearance, and I think 3rd Edition really picked it up after this to um, incorporate it much more into the game when they had their D20 system.
0: Yeah, a lot of those checks... We we actually had a couple episodes specifically kind of looking at how those checks are done through skills and attributes. Uh, I think we have one dropping right before this one comes out that actually discusses some of that as well. And the differences of the various editions. Yeah. Uh, We're about out of time. Does anybody have anything they'd like to add to our discussion of OSC that we haven't covered yet? I was wanting to talk more hard mechanics, but I think we kind of had a lot to talk about when it comes to old school essentials. We never got into as many of those.
1: No, I think for folks to try OSC, it's a really simple game to pick up simple game to learn and simple game to play. So I, you know, there shouldn't be any hesitation in regards to trying out uh, OSE just from either game mechanics or character creation, as we had mentioned earlier. If you're familiar with basic RPG systems, this is one that you can pick up real, real easy to play.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, there's probably less of a learning curve getting into OSE than a lot of other editions of Dungeons & Dragons. out, there. Especially with the layout. Yeah, yes, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty player-friendly and not as complex as some. Well, that's about all we have time for. Thanks for joining us. If you get a chance, uh, like and follow us on the Facebook. Just search Wobblies and Wizards on there. You can Visit our blog wobbliesandwizards.com and keep those dice rolling. I'm hoping we roll about the 20s on Mm
2: -hmm. Wednesday. And unless you're trying to make an attribute check, then hopefully they're ones. Oh, yes. (laughs)